Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 2. We're flying. Galatians 2. Now, I mentioned a minute ago that uh, we're beginning a series through Galatians chapter 2 on what's so great about the church. What's so great about the church? I'm stealing that title from Dalton Robertson. Dalton, when we do our Y Baptist conferences around the country, he has a, a message called What's So Great About the Church? And I will be using that uh, some of that material as we go through this study over the next month or so. But uh, he, he has done a wonderful job helping churches to become established in this is a special place. This is a special place. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul felt like it was a special place. It's an important place. So as we go through this chapter, we're going to be looking at different aspects about what is so great about the church. So now before we read the scripture, let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Lord Jesus, you began it and you died for it and you have called us. Lord, you're coming back for your church. You're going to take us to heaven with you and then we're going to rule and reign with you on this earth. And this is an important place. And so, Lord, help us to be grounded uh, in your truth as to what a church is, what it does, what our place in it is. And, uh, Lord, thank you that you've provided it for us. It's such a wonderful, wonderful institution. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ that we love like our own families. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, did you hear that amen going on back there through the whole prayer? <laughs> amen. Out of the mouths of babes. That's right. What's so great about the church? You understand that we could, we could be here for years talking about what's so great about the church. Now, before we dive into this, I want to say this. Grace Baptist Church of Sydney, we're not the only place that's right. Amen? We are not the sole possessors of truth. There are people gathered all over the world, depending on the time of the day, on Sunday, all over the world, preaching and teaching and believing and worshiping the same way that we do here. It might be in a different language. It might be with a different personality. We hope, right? It, 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 there's so many different ways that God can be worshiped. But there's only one book. And there's only one church. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Of course, put a marker there in Galatians 2. But go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Just the next book over. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. If you've been a Grace Baptist for any length of time, your Ephesians chapter 4 is probably coming out of your Bible. We're here so much. Look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So he beseeches them. He's begging them through the Holy Spirit to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they're called. What, what is our vocation? Our vocation is not fireman or pastor or, or financial manager or banker. Our, our vocation is believer, follower of Jesus Christ, Christian child of God. Anybody here born again? That's your vocation. Your vocation is to live in this world 
as a child of God, that comes before the profession that you've chosen. Amen? That's where it starts. And we're to walk worthy of that with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, it's interesting. We're supposed to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And now, how many of you are for unity? Amen? But it's not the kind of unity that the world wants us to have. Now, without getting too political this morning, because you all know that I'm, I'm very squeamish about taking positions politically. I, I, I try never to do that. But have you ever noticed that compromise in Washington means you agree with the liberals? Is that right? That's what unity is. Unity is you acquiesce to the lowest common denominator. That's what unity has become. That's not biblical unity. That is not biblical unity. Notice the way the Bible deals with it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now look at what it says. Verse 4. Does this sound inclusive? There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There's only one. So there's great unity among those who believe in the one. There is not unity in those who believe in the many. Now, how many of you understand that there are many churches? There are many beliefs. There are many baptisms, right? Some places they baptize three times forward, sometimes three times back, sometimes one time. Sometimes they don't let them up. Sometimes they sprinkle babies. Sometimes they sprinkle adults. The Bible says there's one baptism. Is that right? The Bible says there's one body. Only one. Now, what is this text talking about? Is this talking about the local New Testament church? Well, it can be applied there. What this is speaking of is our faith. All right? So there's only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that right? When we are saved, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into Christ. Keep your place in Ephesians 4. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit are some of us baptized into one body. What does the Bible say? For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. All right? So now, it's very important that we understand that. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. What's so great about the church? What was the Apostle Paul fighting for? And, 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 Ephesians, and Galatians chapter 2 is a very contentious chapter, okay? There's conflict in the chapter. What was the Apostle Paul fighting for? 
He was fighting for the New Testament local church. Ephesians chapter 4 is identifying the makeup of that local New Testament church. The New Testament church is only made up of born-again believers who have followed the Lord in believers' baptism. Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at it, and let's find out what the context here is. All right? There is one body. What body is that speaking of? That's the body that was referenced in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's the body of Christ, Jesus Christ. We are baptized into Jesus Christ's body by the Holy Spirit of God when we're born again. Now, here's one of the problems that we have. The reason this becomes so confusing to people is because of the misunderstanding of the word baptism. Many people, their context for baptize is sprinkle. That's their context. So are we sprinkled on Jesus? That doesn't even make sense, does it? Because according to Ephesians chapter 1, we are in Christ. We are in Him. So when we are in the body, that means we are in Jesus Christ. The one body is the body of Christ. Amen? And we're all baptized into that body by the Holy Spirit of God. No water is involved. It's the Holy Spirit of God placing us in Christ permanently. Can't get out if you wanted to. Amen? The Bible says He is the author and finisher of our faith. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. One body, one body. We are every person that's born again is placed into that body. We all, we all, are we all together? So there's great unity. Every born again person in the world has been baptized into that body. Well, then, why are there so many different churches? Why are there so many different flavors? Flavors. Why are there so many different kinds of churches? You know, you come into some church and a guy has a robe on. Might have an earring. <laughs> oh, Mr. T starter kit or something. You, you go into some places and the guy might have a... I want to get one of those incense things. I just think they're cool. Just wave it around, hit people over the head with it. There's all different kinds of churches. You go into some church and they're handling snakes. God didn't lead me that direction. You know what I'm saying? Snakes are involved, I'm out. All different kinds of churches. You go to some ch another church and they'll say, My father can beat your father at dominoes. No, he can't. All different kinds and flavors of churches. Now, let me say this. The pastor that was here before me, Bill Hovestright, was tall. Now, did you all notice our ushers this morning? I'll bet we had a better offering today than normal. They scared you. Denver, you didn't fit in with those other guys. One of these does not belong. One of these... 
Where was I? <laughs> Pastor Bill. Now, now Bill Hovestrite um, was very dignified. No one's ever accused me of that. Um, he was a very reserved man, a tremendous preacher and teacher of God's word. This, this is the same church, amen? It's the same church. We're not talking about the style. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is taught. So in, some people prefer a more reserved messenger of God's word. That's fine. There's no problem with that. Some people like to be kept awake. People have different, you know, opinions. But man, I had a, we had a guy when I was in Bible college. And when this guy would start preaching, I would just want to bang my head on something because it was painful. He talked like this. It was monotonous and he never had anything to say. And it was, kill me now! You know, so when we're talking about churches... Because we live in America, and because we have such tremendous freedom of worship, you can find a church that's pretty much the flavor that you like, which is a real problem. Because let's say, hey, Patrick, come up here with me for a minute. So let's say there's two churches in Sydney, independent, Bible-believing, Baptist churches. Patrick pastors one. And I pastor another. I am Jim Alter, you know, Mr. Insensitive, okay? Patrick is nice. All right? We both preach the same message, but we have different personalities. And what I'm saying is true. Okay? This is not just for illustration's sake. Okay? So Patrick actually has feelings. I use them. Okay? So now, so there's two good churches in town. I pastor one. Patrick pastors the other. We can even participate in ministry together because we believe the same thing. Here's the danger. Somebody gets mad at Patrick. They don't like something that Patrick said. All of a sudden, God's leading them to my church. Somebody gets mad at something that I say. All of a sudden, God's leading them to Patrick's church. We, we don't have to actually deal with the problem because there's another option. See, back in the early days when the church was beginning, there were no other options. We had to have unity. Amen? Now, remember what we're talking about. If Patrick believed in baptizing babies, we can't have fellowship because that, that, that undermines so much biblical doctrine. And we're going to get into some of that through this series. We're not talking about doctrinal difference. We're talking about personality difference. Because of our society, because of our freedom, because of our liberty, and there are so many options, now what happens is we go to the church that we like. And, of course, you would come to me. So, anyway, go ahead. You, you see what I'm talking about? That's a real problem. Now, let me say this. I do want you to enjoy coming to church. Man, I don't want it to be like sticking an ice pick in your eye. You know, I want you to enjoy being here. I enjoy being here. 
So that part, I like that, and that's just fine. But that's, that's not why we come to church. We don't come to church because it's fun. We don't come to church to be entertained. We don't come to church to have our ears tickled. We come to church because Jesus Christ ordered us to. We are commanded to come together. And when we come together, we are supposed to accomplish something. What is it that we're to accomplish? That's what we're going to be studying through this series. Primarily, primarily, when we come together, the purpose of it is to continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. It's to come and be instructed in God's Word about how to live, how to influence the community, how God wants to work in your life, how God wants you to raise your kids, how you kids are supposed to respond to your parents and to leadership. There, There are some things that God wants us to continue in. Is that right? But right on the heels of that is fellowship. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and in fellowship. There are people in this room, and I'll say to someone, do you know Denver Smith? No, no, I don't know who he is. How are you doing with fellowship? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayer. How can you be praying for the other people in your body, the local body, if you don't even know their names. Let me ask you a question. Let's testify. How many of you, there's someone here in this room right now and you don't know their name? Did you raise your hand? How are we doing? Man, we are a great doctrinal church. Man, we know what we believe. And bless God, we're right. Hey, who's that person sitting on the end of your pew? Amen? See, the Christian life is not to be lived on an island. You're not alone. Man, when you have trouble, there should be dozens of believers from Grace Baptist Church around you immediately. But you know, that can't happen if you don't open yourself up to the fellowship. That can't happen. It can't happen. What's so great about the church? Let's go. uh, Let me just finish up. I know we've been a little scattered so far this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, there's one body. Here, let's look at the text. Ephesians 4. There is one body, and that's the body of Christ, right? And there's one spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. How many of you understand there's all kinds of things taught about the Holy Spirit? You understand that some people believe that you get saved, and then you get the Holy Spirit sometime later. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. There are all kinds of teachings about the Holy Spirit. Some people teach that the Holy Spirit will leave you. All kinds of teaching about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, how many Holy Spirits are there? One. There's one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. What's our hope? The soon return of Jesus Christ. How many of you understand there's all kinds of different teachings about the return of Christ? Some people teach that he already returned. R.C. Sproul believes Jesus Christ returned in 70 A.D. He already returned. 
There's one hope of our calling. Jesus Christ is going to return. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Amen? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the one hope of our calling. There's only one. Well, then why are there so many different eschatological systems? What does that mean? Why are there so many systems of teaching about the end times? Why is that? Because people have moved away from the one source of authority, the Word of God. One Lord, or one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, so now let's talk about unity. Unity. Acts chapter 17, Jesus Christ prayed, Father... I would that they be one as I and my Father are one. Unity. We can have unity in the body of Christ. It's very important that we have unity in the body of Christ. That will happen when we all have one faith. Isn't that interesting? Here, let me give you a profound truth. Some of you may have heard this before. Some of you this might be new. But it's profound. Things that are different are not the same. Man, you've got to come here to get good stuff like that. <laughs> if there's only one faith, why is it that there are so many different faiths? How many of you have ever seen something like this? People of all faiths gathered together for this great meeting. Really? I thought there was only one. What do you have to give up to hold hands with that person? What do you have to say is not important? Nick, come on. Eternal security, what's the big deal? We're all getting, once we get there, they'll know that they were saved whether they knew it or not. It's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? If you have to do something to keep your salvation, you might not be saved in the first place. Eternal security is very important. What about believer's baptism? There's no one in the Bible, in the New Testament, who is baptized without first receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are this many babies baptized. Nick says, Nick's a liberal. Nick says, Pastor, this baptism thing, it's not that big of a deal. We all believe in Jesus. Really? Really. We said this last week. What are the chances of us having a sodomite Sunday school teacher at Grace Baptist Church? What are the chances of that? You might be a guest here and saying, that's not very loving. No, no, it's not. Not at all. No, it's very hard because they make up 2 to 3% of our population and commit 40% of the child molestations. It's really quiet. So that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. We're going to have standards for people in leadership based on the Word of God. They've got to be holy and righteous people. Pastor, what does that have to do with baptism? You can't be a member of Grace Baptist Church unless you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior and have given evidence and testimony of that salvation by being baptized. 
So only believers are members of Grace Baptist Church. And saved people don't have sodomites for Sunday school teachers. Are you saying that if there's a church and they do, they're not saved? There's a pretty good chance. Saved people do not make those kinds of decisions. They do not. Because we love the Lord more than we love the world. Is that right? So now how are we going to have unity? How many of you already understand there are churches in town that we can't participate with? You see? Is that because we're hateful? No, there's only one faith. We're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to endeavor to do that around the one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Is that right? So as long as people, and you say, you just want people to agree with you. No, 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 no. Man, I make mistakes all the time. I want them to agree with the Word of God. And when the Bible is so clear on something, how can there be so many different faiths? See, we're starting to see what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in Galatians chapter 2. So there's one body of Christ, that is Jesus, and all of us are baptized into that body. And there's one visible expression of that body in the world, and it's a local New Testament church. Is that right? That's what the body of Christ is. That's what the New Testament church is. So how many kinds of churches can there be then? One. See, this is where people get real squirrely. They get real... Wait a minute. My mom goes to the Nazarene church. Are you saying she's not a good person or that's not a real church? My mom goes to, um, my uncle goes to a Presbyterian church. Are you saying that's not a church? Well, let me ask you a question. Does that church preach salvation by grace through faith alone? Because that's the message of the New Testament. Is that the message of the New Testament? And what is any other message? And according to Galatians chapter 1, it's another gospel, which is not another. And if anyone preached that gospel, let him be accursed. Okay? So then, what about baptism? Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Now, some of this water has been muddied in the last hundred years. A hundred years ago, this discussion would have been much easier because that was the time before non-denominationalism and interdenominationalism. Okay, before there were only in Christian circles, all that you had were Catholic churches, Protestant churches and Baptist churches. That's all that you had in history. That's what you had. That was it in Christianity or what was called Christianity. Well, now, man, you can go to New Life 
fellowship, come together, happy church. And you look at the sign, you don't have any idea what they believe. I've told you that in Indiana, uh, we drove by this church, and it was called the Nice Church. Well, what do they teach? You see? The, the water's been muddied. It's been muddied. And so this is where we have to be discerning scripturally. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. That's what the Bible says. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. We've got to find out what do they believe. Is it right or is it wrong? And then we have to remove personality from it. It doesn't matter who goes to the church. It does not matter who goes to the church. The issue is what do they believe? What do they preach? What do they teach? Is that right? Okay. Now, look at Matthew chapter 28. Jesus Christ, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now, would all of Christianity believe that? Isn't it amazing? Isn't that amazing? So are you, are you already seeing that this oneness doesn't exist no matter who wants it to? Okay, so now what's going to happen is the message is going to get more and more exclusive as Jesus Christ gives it. Now, do we believe that all power is given unto Jesus Christ, heaven and earth? Amen. Amen. What does all mean? All. So then, based on that authority, he gives us his commission. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now look at the exclusivity of this message. You go and teach, and after you teach them, then you baptize them. Is that what the Bible says? Well, then why is it that 90% of the Christian churches in the world baptize before they teach them? Is this hard to understand? No, no. And I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I know I am sarcastic often. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. But it's so simple and it's so clear. Why is it that people reject the clear teaching of Scripture? It all has to do with power. It all has to do with power. If we can get more people into our church, we can have more power, more authority. Who has the power? Jesus Christ. I don't have any power. The power belongs to Christ. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. So, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. See, what we've done already is we've excluded some. There are churches in town that do not believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I went to a Gideon's meeting. And I had to sit across from a pastor who didn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to participate in ministry together. Can I scripturally do that? He has a different God than I do. One Lord. One God and Father of us all who's above all and in all and through all. That's what the Bible says. We don't worship the same God. How can we have unity? We can't. What's so great about the church? What's so great about the church? It is a pure doctrinal body. And it's based on some simple concepts. Preach and teach the word of God. Baptize believers. 
in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and then disciple them. Make disciples. You make disciples by teaching them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. So what does that mean? That means that a church, a local New Testament church, will be a discipled body. Does that make sense? How many of you do agree with that? Now, let, me, let me put a different word in. It's really just a different pronunciation of the same word. The local New Testament church will be a disciplined body. A disciplined body. Look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at this chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Now remember what 1 Corinthians is. 1 Corinthians is God's book of divine order. All right? I think it's 1 Corinthians 14, 40 that says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Let everything be done decently and in order. God's book of divine order. Now look at what God says. Verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Judge not, lest you be judged. That's judging somebody's salvation. I can't determine somebody's salvation. God will do that. I can certainly judge their behavior. And let me tell you something. If there is an idolater or a fornicator in the membership of Grace Baptist Church, we approach that person, confront them with it. Is that right? If I confront them and they... Let's just say that Patrick... Even though he has feelings, he's going to confront them. Let's say that Patrick confronts that person. That person, he, Patrick hears about it. He doesn't go and tell a bunch of people. He goes to that person. They won't hear him. So he comes to me, and I get a couple of the deacons, and with those deacons, I and Patrick go back to that man and confront his immorality. And he still won't hear us. He's a member of Grace Baptist Church. Still won't listen to us. Won't repent of his behavior. Won't get right with God won't stop. Then what we do is we come before the church and we say, Nick Arling, no, we say, this person has behaved in a way that disqualifies him from membership. He can no longer take the Lord's Supper here. With such an one, no, not to eat. If that was just talking about fellowship, you could never go to a family reunion. <laughs> Amen? Jesus was a friend, a friend of publicans and sinners. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the disciplinary nature of the Lord's Supper. 
It's talking about the, the disciplined nature of the New Testament church. This church, what's so great about the church? It is a holy place. It is a pure place. It's a righteous place. Preacher, you think everybody at Grace Baptist Church is perfect? No, you're here. <laughs> and I'm here. No, we're not perfect. But our desire is to be a holy people and to be a pure people and to be a disciplined people. You see, one of, that's, this is where baptism and the Lord's Supper becomes so important in a New Testament church. They're not important anymore. They're not important. Communion, it's, been, it's called communion now, and it has, it's just people come together, let's have communion. Oh, it's such a spiritual time. Really? God said somebody could die from it. So God said, some of you approach the table unworthily, some of you sleep. Some people are dead because they took the Lord's Supper unworthily. Okay, so let's just gather together and knock a couple back. It's for you, Jesus. No, the Lord's Supper is something so much more than that. It's a disciplinary. What are we supposed to do? Examine yourselves. So the Bible says. It's a disciplined place. What's so great about the church? What's so great about the church? God established it to be a holy place, a spotless place. And you can know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You can have liberty to serve Him. You don't have to worry about somebody testing your Christianity to see whether or not you get to go to heaven. No! Your salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We know that. We know that. Why? Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. You see, that great commission establishes that we teach. In another place it says, preach. Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is that preaching must include teaching. But teaching must be preached. What's the difference? Teaching is communicating information. If we just come in here and I yell a bunch, you don't learn anything. I've not preached the word of God. Amen? But preaching is boldly proclaiming the word of God and demanding a response. You can't come to... This is... Grace Baptist Church is not for the weak of heart. If you want to willingly reject the clear teaching of Scripture, you're not going to be comfortable here. Can I get some help? You're not going to be comfortable here. It gets very uncomfortable because we love people. Amen? We really do love people who are in churches who have fault, that have false doctrine. But if we don't teach what the truth is here, how can we ever help those people? Are we going to continue? Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and they can, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is doctrine? It is God's truth in God's words. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One body, one faith, one baptism. There are not many. How many of you believe that? Amen. So now we have to come to the place. What's so great about the church? Can we go to Galatians chapter 2? 
Look at verse 1. Then 14 years after, after what? After his conversion, after his salvation. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus with me also. Ready? This is the first thing that's so great about the church. First thing that's so great about the church is where people are accepted. It's where people are accepted. I like the two people that are mentioned here. The Apostle Paul, he used to be Saul. When he was Saul, he used to kill people. He used to kill people like us. And so when he got saved, the churches didn't want to have anything to do with him. Would you? Anybody want Osama bin Laden sitting next to you? That's what was going on. He got saved. Barnabas went and found him and introduced him to the Christians at Jerusalem. He said, this guy's a brother. He's a brother. You see, you know what's so great about the church? It's where sinners are accepted. You see, you don't have to be a theologian to come to Grace Baptist Church. You don't have to know a whole lot about the Bible. You don't have to have lived a perfect life. You just have to believe in Jesus Christ. (laughs) You don't even have to do that to come here. To be a member. You've got to be a follower, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. have demonstrated that through scriptural baptism. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. He was saved, and then he was baptized. Then he was accepted into the church. He was accepted. It didn't matter what he had done in the past. It didn't matter what he had done in the past. Why? Because it was in the past. Better man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. It's such a wonderful place. People are accepted. But look at the next person. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Why is that so important? You see, Barnabas, they're going to Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem is the city of the the Jews. Okay, let's all say that. Jerusalem is the city of the Jews. Jews. That was great for Barnabas. Barnabas was a Levite. Barnabas was from the priestly tribe. Barnabas was the man when it came to lineage among the Jews. That was great. Everybody loved Barnabas. He's the son of consolation. His name was Joseph. His Jewish name was Joseph. People loved him so much, they changed his name to Barnabas, son of consolation. He was a great guy. Everybody loved Barnabas. Who's Titus? Look what the Bible says in verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Titus wasn't a Jew. Anybody remember the word? that the Jews used for non-Jews? Gentiles? Dogs? Heathen? That's Titus. That's Titus. In Jerusalem, they're having a problem. In Jerusalem, they're trying to take Jewish law and combine it with the salvation by grace, by, by faith through grace by grace through faith, of the New Testament. They're trying to combine it. What did the Apostle Paul do? Hey, Nick, come here for a second. You're used to this. Here's what he did. Okay, I'm the Jewish apostle. You guys are Jewish believers who think you're a little better. You know what Paul did? He put the Gentile right in their faces. That's what he was doing. That's why he took Titus. He took Titus to confront the Judaizers. Why? Because 
The New Testament church is where believers are accepted. Doesn't matter what their race is. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what their religious background is. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much money they have. Doesn't matter what family they come from. This is a brother in Christ. Thanks, Nick. You see, the Apostle Paul was not one to shy from a fight. He saw that there was error and he confronted it. And look at what happened. Look at verse 7. No, let's look at uh, verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Remember, that the, one of the big issues was they wanted these Gentiles who got saved to be circumcised. Well, that didn't have anything to do with Christianity. That didn't have anything to do with Christianity. And let me say this. The reason that people baptize babies is they say that replaced circumcision. Really, um, what's the scripture for that? No. What is that called? It's called legalism. It's called letting certain false teachers, false professors come in. Oh, really? Is that really what that is? Here, look what the Bible says. Verse 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Man, if I tell you you've got to get circumcised to become a member of Grace Baptist Church, First of all, I'm not doing it. Second, I don't think we're going to have a lot of volunteers. Now, listen, some people, I know people are thinking, Pastor Jim, this is a little indelicate. <laughs> That's what was going on. How many of you think that might be a little extreme? Right? But now what if I say, what if I say, in order to be a member at Grace Baptist Church, you've got to, and I start listing all of these different behaviors that are not found in the Word of God. It's wrong, isn't it? It's wrong. What if I say that you've got to you know, complete these seven sacraments? You see, what that is doing is it's taking away your liberty. What if I say that you have to behave a certain way in order to keep your salvation? I'm taking away your liberty. Do you see that? I'm taking away your liberty. I can't do that. I can't do that. Now, do I believe that believers ought to behave differently than unbelievers? Yes. But does that, does that have anything to do with whether or not you're saved? No. You see, we have to understand that the church is where believers are accepted. We have an exclusive message Amen? But we are not an exclusive people. Any person that wants to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, agree with the Word of God, and unite with other believers through scriptural baptism, anyone can be a member of Grace Baptist Church. Now, you commit adultery, and you don't care, keep doing it, you're going to be out. Sorry, you're an extortioner. You start stealing money from people. You won't repent. You're going to be out. Amen? You're an idolater. You start bringing in false doctrine. You're going to be out. If you're divisive, if, if someone comes in and they want to divide 
the church. Start causing dissension in the church. What are we supposed to do with that person? Mark them, Romans 16, 17, mark them and avoid them. They will be excluded from the church. Why? Because this is a really special place. It's a really special place. Now, here's the problem. You might be sitting out there thinking, I don't know if I measure up. I don't know if I can be that good of a person. If that's what you're thinking, you're just right. Why? Because I'm just a beggar showing another beggar where I found bread. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, I'll finish with this. I've got about 10 hours worth of stuff on what's so great about the church, so we're just going to cut it off like a stick of baloney. Keep going next time. One of the things that's so wonderful about a New Testament church, it's so wonderful, so wonderful, is that the only thing that you have to do is be saved, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He died because I'm a sinner. My only hope for heaven is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And I receive the free gift of eternal life that He's offered. That's step one. Step two is, I want to testify to the world that I believe that, that I believe in right teaching and right doctrine, and I want to agree with the people here. And you testify about that through baptism. If, you want, if you're willing to do that, you're a member of Grace Baptist Church. Amen? And then what we do is we expect you to carry your weight. Amen? We are all members. We all have a part. If, if, the, if the goozle doesn't work, then what's the goozle? That little flap in the back of your throat? It's a goozle. Yeah, the technical term is goozle. I went to school for this. Sorry, doctors. If that doesn't work, you're in trouble. That right? My wife doesn't work right. She chokes just about every time she takes a drink. I say, okay, here's the order. Drink, breathe. Drink, breathe. Hers doesn't work right. How many of you are glad that your little flap works? Are you glad? Amen? You see, the church needs that little flap. The Bible describes it this way. We have our comely parts, the beautiful parts, and then we have our uncomely parts. I could name some uncomely parts this morning that you're really glad you have, but that we don't talk about in polite company. But man, they're important. Anybody here ever have some of those uncomely parts not working right? See, that's where when you become a member of the church, you got to start pulling your weight so that the body functions properly. You know, the comely parts, your hair. People spend a whole lot of time on their hair. Well, Wade New doesn't, but a lot of us <laughs> spend a lot of time on our hair. You know what? Your hair is not really that important. My wife spends like hundreds of dollars a month on her hair, at least. And it's just, and it's just not that important. How many of you would say amen to that? All the men, all the ladies are shooting me darts. But... 
what we do is we give the attention to the people that sing well or play an instrument well or that speak well. Church can't function without the people behind the scenes that we don't know about. Can't function. Those people, the people that drive the van, bring the children to Sunday school. That's vital. The people that teach those kids, the people that work the sound. You got to be able to hear me. Amen? People that, that keep the, all, all of the things running around here, that's so vitally important. We've got to have that. We must have that for it to work. So once you're saved and baptized and a member of the church, we, accept you to, we expect you to pull your weight. What happens if you don't? Nothing. Nothing. You'll just feel real uncomfortable in a sermon like this. <laughs> what happens if you do pull your weight? And you're laying up treasure in heaven that you don't have any idea what God's going to do with. You know, I think of the, uh, the ramp going up into the Sunday school, up into the fellowship hall. Some person that can't walk, and they're brought up that ramp, and they hear the gospel and get saved. The person who built that ramp wouldn't want me to tell you his name. That guy's going to have more treasure in heaven than so many others because he did what God enabled him to do. Amen? I want to tell you who it was, but he'd get mad at me. Some of you know. <laughs> See, we got to have those parts. we got to have those parts. What's so great about the church? Believers are accepted. Believers are accepted. And this is a great place. It's a great place. Our desire is to preach and teach the Word of God with boldness. Our desire is to have great fellowship with people that love each other. Our desire is to impact our community, to, to make a difference in this world, to have our children grow up to know God and serve Him and influence the schools and influence their friends. Amen? That can't happen if we're not pure. It can't happen if we're not pure. How many of you want your pharmacy to be clean. Right? See, we want this church to be pure and right doctrinally. And we're going to be like the Apostle Paul was. False brethren creeping in unawares. We won't give place to them by subjection. No, not for an hour. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 2. What's so great about the church? Believers are accepted. I hope you realize that we love you and that we want you here. I hope you know that this is a place where we love the Lord and we love people. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what you can do. It doesn't matter. If you love Jesus, you love His Word, we want you. Amen? You want to bring false doctrine in here? You better hit the road. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. We just love You.